Hi, I'm Luke Campbell, and I work for a small wine company. He's Luke Morris, and... I, I've managed to get us up to 14 people who have uh, signed up for the Hottest 100. Woohoo! And together, we are Luke's Talk Wine. We're talking all things wine and booze and popular culture. Think when to drink, why we drink it, and the culture that surrounds drinking. Hello, Luke. G'day. Campbell, I think that little woohoo is the most uh, reaction I've ever gotten out of you in that little intro section. You, you seem sort of happy. <laughs> well, strap yourself in because we have got an episode for you. This no, is. I'm going to have a response to that. Oh, okay. Yeah, is... Keep going. No, no, carry on. This is a this script is... to be read. This is season three. No, season three, episode yeah. five. And this week, coming at you live, our topic is, what is this winemaking gaff? And all of your wine words explained. This is a question that confronts us regularly, but way back, way back when, you might remember all the way back in episode three, Murray, we actually touched on this and we went down the road of some of these wine words. We're revisiting it today. And also, we have a question, a listener question from Jared. Jared writes, wines and phases. Can my wine go through a phase? What happened to the question I I gave you last week? That was the question from Jared. It was too. Yes. Welcome, Jared. Thanks for listening. No, I don't think he listens. He just asked me a question. Well, it's a great question because it a is. wine can go through a phase, but we'll, we'll touch on that later in the afternoon, evening and nighttime, depending on how long it takes to record the podcast. But as always, and with every week, we start the podcast with none other than Luke Morris. <laughs> What's been happening in your wine world this week, pal? I, I sent out an email to my um, database asking people about uh, what's voting the Hottest 100. Give us your Hottest 100 votes. And um, uh, for wine. And, yeah, I think we've got like 12 or 14 responses from that. So Beautiful. I love we're, it. We're fast on our way to the um, your target of 20. We're, not, we're a bit off my target of 50. And mm-hmm. uh, well, uh, what's next? I think. Um, we're counting uh, down to episode 50. Yeah, yeah, we'll get up to it. Well, no, we don't know. When's episode 50? So I think the first season. I looked at. I looked back. We did seventeen yeah. episodes, then yep. took a break because mm. of end of year. Yep. And then we did twenty episodes. Took another break. Yeah, and now yep. we're up to what episode five. So yep. it's ep- so we're on to episode forty-two. Ooh, mm. the meaning of life, universe, and everything. Yep, you better believe it. But. No, we're counting down. Aren't we going to? Ca- so we've got another five episodes. Was the plan to keep another five weeks to keep uh, uh, touting for the hottest one hundred wines? Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get a great sample size. I'm confident. I'm confident. Okay. If you're listening and you haven't voted, just send us an email at Luke's Talk Wine at Gmail.com uh, uh, uh. and tell us and tell us why you haven't voted because we need you to vote. I've voted. Have you voted, Murray? No, I well what. I haven't voted because I'm going to tally up all the folks. Uh, and I sort of yeah, thought I sort of thought I might um, I, it, there might be an unfair advantage if I 
screw the system. Skewed it. Yeah, 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 fair enough. So I'll just um, – I haven't looked at any votes, I can tell you. I did get one person sent me their votes in the email, so I just copied <laughs> those back uh, into the um, into the voting form. So I know uh, – do you want to know who, what their votes were? Give you a sneak behind the curtain? Yeah, go on. Go on. Um, I think there was the Mount Mary Quintet was in there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Good wine, Cabernet Blend. <laughs> <laughs> Cabernet Blend. Well, that, that you know, that's that's obvious. I mean, Cabernet's king, really. So yes, that's you know, Cabernet's king. I was well, I drank just... a bit of Cabernet last week. Did you? Mm. Are we going to talk about that at the end of the episode, or do you want to talk about? Oh, it? we'll talk about what I'm drinking at the end of the episode. Absolutely. Oh. I was sorry. I was just remembering a bit of Cabernet that I drank last week, but got nothing to do with the show. I was just thinking, I just drifted off there for a minute. Well, it seems to, it's relevant to the show, surely. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, yes. Yeah. Don't mind me. I just drifted off. You were saying. No, I was just trying to remember what the other two wines were. Ravenswood, I think, was in there. The um, Ravenswood? Yeah. As in the, the big Holly Kunawara number. You know the wine. Wow. I haven't heard that wine mentioned for a long, long time, actually, but I'm glad it has because it plays a part in Australia's rich Cabernet history. Yeah. Hmm. Well, what is your attachment to it? Oh, just my love of Coonawarra Cabernet. Coonawarra Cabernet, as I'm sure I've mentioned on the podcast before, was one, some of the first wines I ever put in my cellar, you know, the Wins Black Label that was all of about 17 yeah. months at the time. And, you know, like it was always back in the day, the, the Ravenswood was always that kind of, you know, like the the, the Jim Barry or the ah. Petaluma or, you know, it was always the top wine on the list. Yep, yep. Um, the, uh, being the Ravenswood Cabernet from Hollick, which was, you know, Hollick's was planted back in the 70s and, directly opposite like Leakin Field and not very far from Winds and just next door to Dougie Bowens. And it just, it took off and Ravenswood was their top wine. Yeah. So it's great that people are recognising that. It's no longer owned by the Holics, but uh, it's great that people are recognising that Who history. It it's all owned. It's a, it's a uh, under foreign ownership, Luke Morris, disappointingly. Oh, do you? Is it? It is. Holics is no longer owned by the family. They still oh. have family. Some family members still work in it. I think uh, one of the daughters of, of Ian might do the marketing in events or whatever, but no, it's foreign owned. Wow. Hmm. Oh, that, that's, that's the wine world for you. People are just buying stuff up as much as they can. Yes, they're buying and they're stuffing it up all in the one. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's wrong with Holix? Is, is, is that why no, right? nothing, do you think Ravenswood nothing. has gone downhill since it's Actually, no longer I don't. in the. I don't. I had the recent pleasure of visiting the Kunawara and I tasted the Ravensworth. Actually, I don't think it hasn't gone down in my esteemed um, vision or view of it at all. No, it's still there. It's still got all the fruit. They've still got the same age of vines. Um, they're still making it, probably not too dissimilar to the way uh, Ian made it, except they've probably got more tools at their discretion these days. But it is, no, it's still a utterly delicious brand. It just, I mean, up until recently, I guess all their stuff went overseas. I don't know. When was the last time you saw a bottle of Holic kicking around, Luke Morris? Oh, mate, I can't, don't really remember. I mean, but it was such an old brand in Australian wine, like yourself, Waymanswood. Mm. I was like, yep, yeah, that's that's donkey's ears. That's like um, 
I was going to say something like saying Diana Madeline, but that name hasn't been around for that long on a on a on a label. But no, um, art series Ravenswood. One of my else I'm thinking something on those Petaluma. I want to say eight songs. Is that still is that a real brand? Basket Press. Basket Bas- Press. Basket Press would, yeah. would be a brand name that would have been around uh, an icon as a, as a Rockford Basket Press about the same time as Hollick Ravenswood yep. and. Um, Chester Oddborn's Dead Arm. Oh yeah, those that era of wines that people have grown up with. Absolutely. Um, I, but Holics, they're they're just their premium Cabernet, which is I'm sure it's sub still sub thirty. It was a cracking wine. It was you know from a forty year old vineyard out the back of their cellar door which is a lovely cellar door right next to Doug Bones and Emma Bones there on the, on that Terrorosa soil. It was, it was a stunning wine in its day. It was great value. I've had, I've had a bit of experience with that over the journey as well and always loved it. I'd love um, to see if Bowen gets a mention in the um, Hottest 100. I did, ooh, I did yeah. mention, I did put that in the uh, email as an example of how to, the format of how to. How to vote. Yeah, how to vote. Mm. Just because it is really one of those wines that I, is so bloody reliable. It's like Tabilk yep. Marsan. Oh, yeah. Like another it, reliable. Yeah. Like favorite wines because vintage doesn't matter almost. Like it does matter, but it, it's so. They, they know how to make that wine and they do a good job year in, year out. Marsan, it is underrated, really, isn't it? Oh no, that's a book, Marsan. It's not worth much. Like, you know, they still sell it for about fifteen bucks a bottle, but it's something that you just throw in the. You, you buy something, put it in the cellar, and you know, you, you never regret it. No, you don't. Absolutely. Regret-free wine. <laughs> Regret-free wine. Absolutely. There's not that many of those, is there? Uh, there isn't. No, but if they are, they a lot of them would be white. <laughs> there will be another one. <laughs> oh, you're talking now, now. You're starting to move into uh, wines that go through stages of life, and that's a listener question. Yes, I am going through to talk about wines that go through stages, but we'll talk. We'll talk about that a bit, little bit later. But hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books, so visit lukemorrisha.com.au. Go there. See the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's lukemorrisha.com.au, L-U-K-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-H-A.com.au. Have a great day. The question, the big question in this week's topic is winemaking gaff and all of your wine words explained. I mean, you would come across this in your day-to-day, you know, whether whether it's, you know, <laughs> fermentation or elevage or fining or malolactic fermentation or brett spreadomyces what flying winemakers you would hear all of these termed bandied around luke morris and i kind of just want to put pay dirt we did as i mentioned in our very third episode of the podcast way back when we did hit a little these um a a few of these terms but i kind of just wanted to go through them maybe some of the ones that you can bring to mind just 
to put just to give consumers a little bit of a fleeting knowledge about some of these terms because a lot of case they're big big words for not so you know they're big words for little things if you know well they're flashy words flashy words that's a better it's like you can have a car or you can have a car that has a um, retractable antenna on it remember back when you used to get a car that you push the button and the antenna would go up or down you didn't have to pull it up yourself you had to replace the coat hanger yeah Oh gosh! When was the last time we saw a coat hanger on a car? <laughs> yeah, not for not for a while. <laughs> Have we just replaced that with just the notion of the whole car being a metal rod? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> or is that is that every move to no no? It's your AM/FM radio. It's not all yeah, the no, internet. No, we still got uh, still got those different frequencies. Absolutely. Imagine if you could see radio waves. God, you'd be you'd be blinded. You wouldn't be able to get out the door there'd be so much scatter all over the place anyway imagine so the terms i i it got me thinking <laughs> i'm on the sidetrack <laughs> i'm bringing it back here because one of the terms what what brought this to to a head actually was i, I got asked uh, during the week actually um about fortified and i know you'll love a fortified but then it got to the term is what is fortified so fortified is a wine to which has had alcohol added Generally, to increase the concentration, listeners, Strengthened to a hot, to a, a high enough level to prevent any refermentation, and this is quintessentially fortified or fortified wine. So that is a great. It's a it's a big term to fortify something is just with the addition of alcohol to stop that secondary fermentation. Other terms, Luke. I mean, you must have a million of them. Like. Um, What's another term that springs to mind that we could rehash for listeners here? Oh, I don't know. The the one that keeps coming up into my mind that I hate seeing being used is complex. I mean, that, we mm. probably talked about that because I I always complex is just a lazy word for I don't know. Like, well, this it's yeah. so complex. Well, name the things that are making it complex. Tell us, give us a bit more. If you, if I see that on the back of a label, I know the person writing the label hasn't tasted the wine. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm a little bit like that. You can't say a wine, this wine is good. You have to really say, why is it good? So I'm in complete <laughs> agreement. Then complexity, there's a lot of strings to complexity's bow. Um, you know, whether it's demisec and it's a medium dry sparkling wine or whether it's a dessert wine, there's a variant degrees of complexity and I think you have to kind of enunciate that. Um I agree there. What about, what's another term? Um, I've drawn a blank here. Earthy. Earthy is a great term. I, I love earth. Having grown up in the Hunter Valley, you know, I, I literally relate earth to kicking over that red sword during vintage, which was hot and dry and dusty. And sometimes you get those flavours that have a certain soil-like quality. So that would be earthy. Um, Luke, Murray, yeah. what do you got? Something else? Oh, well, what do you mean by earth? So earthy... But see, as when it, you talk about as, Pinot, you talk, I think about earthy as like a forest floor, funky, earthy, you know, not quite a garbage place, garbage bin kind of mm. character. But that 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 grounded earth, not, not not maybe that's the the classic hunter notion of uh, all the wines in the hunter Bredemices, which is mm, a leathery, let's, subtly. Let's, let's, let's I know, but. Now. Yeah, but do you remember when that was a thing? Do you remember, do you I do, remember, I do remember yeah. when Bretomyces was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. But is that 
but you're describing it not as that bacteria. You're describing it as something that's imparted through the the fruit. I'm describing earthy as something that is been departed through the fruit. Bretomyces is a completely different story. Which yeah, is yeah, yeah. yeah. So let's let's separate those two that two min, those two meanings because you get earthiness all over them. That's right. And bre- Bretomyces is a is a yeast, a spoilage yeast that produces taints and. You know, they, you get those. You mentioned those leathery, barnyardy kind of notes from them, or, or a medicinal note. Uh, so, Brennomyces is a is a fault. Um, what are some other terms that people might hear? How do you get? You no, no, I, I, I want to talk about. It. How do you get? How do you get that earthiness then? Because I just associate it to Pinot, but yours is you're saying that it's across the Hunter Valley. No, I'm not. No, no. I, I'm saying that if I, as a descriptor, so yeah. the term we are describing would be earth. You hear yeah. of earth a lot. So, and I think you've enunciated it beautifully. You think it is mushroom and undergrowth. That, that's your earth. Yeah. If I'm referring to earth, and this is why it's important to know whose tasting notes you're reading or know whose palate you're respecting, I regard earth as that kind of sooty, dry clay, and that's what it reminds me of because that's the experience I've had. It's just a term, I think, to convey that different characteristic i think not neither of them everybody's right in that case you know what i mean that's interesting because i see often in the heathcote wines that there's that a clayness in some of them um that i think is beautiful so, so someone said it's almost like blue cheese or something it's, there's just a character in heathcote wines that comes from the 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 or the cambrian soil there mm-hmm and that would be an earthiness because it's coming from the earth, but it's not the way I imagine earthiness. I imagine earthiness being in the forest, not earthiness being like clay or, you know. Yeah. No, I think it's horses for courses, you know. Nobody's putting earth, unless you put clay into the, use clay as the fining agent, but no one's putting that in the wine. What about the old one you hear a lot in Chardonnay and Champagne, Lees? Lees. Uh, oh, yeah comes after fermentation lees can be tasty lees is also consistent of dead yeast cells and grape seeds and any other solids that's formed at the bottom of your vat or a barrel and then wine is separated off from the lees and when they do that another term pops up which is racking uh, and that separation of the lees from the wine and the other impurities is referred to as racking um, there's a whole heap of these crazy terms that get bandied around a, a lot. Do you see you that know. much though? But who's who's saying this stuff? I mean, yeah, don't doesn't people don't people ask you about lees? What is lees? Uh, lees, I don't hear that much about who, uh, racking. I guess lees is lees is, is I see what you mean now. So lees is something that they'll say on the back of the bottle. Yep. Um, I spent twelve months on lees. Like, yeah. Why? <laughs> 100% malo lactic fermentation. What does that mean? That's what you're referring to as well. Yeah, malo or malolactic. So that's yeah. um, a, and one of those big, big words for a, a short thing. Basically, that's the conversion of those hard lactic acids that you would find in milk, the creamy acids. So you're converting those hard malic acids into the lactic creamy acids that you would find in milk. It's a secondary fermentation. It can happen in whites. It can happen in reds. 
it's a big, big term for a very, very quick fermentation. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of them. I mean, if yeah, if there is listeners who who read something on the label and don't understand, what well, read stuff on the label that they don't understand what it means. Uh, I think there's stuff written on the label that the the marketing department don't understand what it means, like <laughs> like what, texture. I love that texture. Or yeah, uh, was it uh, oat? Great, it's got oak. <laughs> <laughs> There's not I'm enough information. One. I'm a big one for using texture. Texture is, a, I guess, a tasting term, for, but I'm referring to the mouthfeel and, and, and the weight. Um, you know, it's, I might also refer to in white wines, I'll refer to as phenols, which are the skin, the white tannins, effectively. So phenolics or phenols, these kind of words and terms get bandied around, particularly in tasting notes. And they're, they're a white wine derivative. They're relatable to red because we call them tannins. And most people are proficient, particularly if you listen to this podcast, proficient in tannins, because we often broach the subject and where the tannins are, where the tannins fit. Um, what about words like... I, oh, I think tannins get too much focus. I, I I hear people say like, well, that wine's got a lot of tannin or that wine doesn't have a lot of tannin. It's like, yeah, that's a 15-year-old Merlot. It's not going to have a lot of tannin. That's a, oh, that's you, a you just, two-year-old Cabernet. Because Sorry? you don't understand Italian wines, you're just not into tannin. I get where you're coming from. What do you mean? No, I wasn't even what, – what, what, what do you mean you're about saying- Italian wines? You're just talking tannins down because you don't like Italian wines. That's why I, I know what you're up to. No, no, I, I wasn't even thinking of Italian wines. I was just saying that people focus too much on. <laughs> but um, we can talk about Italian wines if you want. Um, <laughs> I, uh, you just hate. You just hate Italian wines. No, I don't hate Italian wines. I just don't care that much about them. <sighs> why don't you care again. more about Bendigo wines? <laughs> Well, there's only so many wines I can drink. That sounds like a challenge. <laughs> what? Why have you put yeah. a limit on how much you can drink, Camel? How, how much Bendigo wines I can drink? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Why, why reduce the amount of flavour you can stuff in your mouth from the Central Victoria's premium red wine region. growing region? Uh, well, I'll, I'll you have know, to go Some back parts and... of Bendigo even grow Sauvignon Blanc. It's that diverse. Oh my goodness me! I definitely have to go back and revisit the re- region. All right, we're off. We're off topic again. I'm bringing it back here because I've got another word for you that you see. No a tannins. Lot. What? What? Ten, ten, what I was asking about with tannins was that some people focus a lot and just focus and talk about tannins, and I don't see them as that. Like they're not the be all and end all of things. Well, tannins really—they're not the be all and the end all but they're part of the five basic wine characteristics that will help you find your favourite wine. You know, sweetness, acidity, tannin, alcohol, body. These are the five basic characteristics. So, yeah. Sweetness, go through it. Sweetness, acidity. Tannin. Tannin. Alcohol. Alcohol. And body slash balance. Like, they're the five characteristics. Generally, a taster or a person or a consumer, let's say, We'll hang on to one of those five and learn about them and then move on to the next one. So tannin generally is the second or third thing that, that a consumer palate will lack onto, latch onto. And so they, they do get heralded in that way because they're easily identifiable. In saying that, those five characteristics 
can sometimes be a bit muddled. Sweetness can become fruity. Tannins can become astringency. Alcohol can become sugar. Body complexity, like they can be a bit clouded. So you do have to hone down. You've got to pay a little bit of an homage, particularly to tannin, because you taste it kind of on the side of your tongue um, and the side of your mouth there. Like it's a, if you're not around them, it's a fairly confronting thing. I think that might be what I'm referring to, the fact that you've identified the five the five food groups that make yep. up wine tasting, and some yep. people only focus on the one. And, you know. All oh, right, two. we're in agreement. We're actually going in agreement. Yeah. I think, we're, I think we're speaking I'm, the same from the same hymn book. Yeah. Mm. So, so sweetness, tannin, was it acid, alcohol, and body? Sweetness. Acidity, yeah. tannin, alcohol, and body. And their listeners, they're actually the same. They're in accordance of that list there. That's the same way you taste them. You taste sweetness first, then you taste acidity, then you taste tannin, then you taste alcohol at the back, and it finishes with the body and all the weight of the wine. So you actually literally and figuratively taste in that order. I'm just making down like a little alternative five things that people ask about. Mm. And they'll, they'll, it'll be colour, the region, the grape, the weight, and the price. Yep. yep. I think that's what customers ask about. And But as a wine taster, that's what you're – I suppose that's a good thing because not all wine, like I said, 15-year-old Merlot that got derided as not having enough tannin. I was like, but it's got beautiful length on the palate, so that would be good body. The alcohol you don't really notice, so it's well integrated. There was still some nice acid in there, and I wouldn't say it was very sweet, but again, that was, I don't know, I don't really taste sweetness. Can't you not taste sweetness? Isn't that a thing? Is that a thing? Oh, well, It's a texture thing. It's, it's a texture thing, but people are funny. Like a lot of people get fruit mixed up with sugar, like, um, so sweet, sweetness is a funny thing. Like how sweet or dry is it? Like that's that's what you got to, that's a question you ask. All right. How sweet, how dry, rather than is it sugary or fruity? I think it's gotta be sweet or dry, which makes it easier. Your perception of sweet starts right at the tip of the tongue. So it's your first impression. So your whole olfactory system has been clouded by the amount of sugar you're tasting. So you've really got to work hard to get through that. Yeah, so that's why when we taste some of those McLaren Vale reds, and a lot of people see those as sweet. Mm. And they shouldn't really have any residual sugar in them, but it's just a perception. Oh, look. What do you think they will? Well, a dry red will have, you know, probably can have up to nine grams of residual sugar in it more commonly with cheaper wines but a dry bone dry wine can get confused very quickly with a highly tannic wine like i could serve you a bone dry mclaren Vale shiraz and i could serve you an italian nebbiolo and you might think not you but the consumer might think that they are uh, the, the same grape variety only because of that um, level of dryness and the high tannins. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, no, I can see that with the Nebbiola. That's the high tannin in that. But you tell, tell from colour. 
that there's a difference? Yeah, Usually but if then we were tasting them, it's softer. But they'd be in a black glass for this exercise. Oh, so. Yeah, okay, right. <laughs> so the more you change the thing, the harder it is for people to tell them apart, of course. What it was what the for the point of this exercise, what I would want you to do is just look looking for the dry wine, right? So, but what I'm saying is you'd often get that confused with your high tannins. So sweetness is one of the most subtlest aspects of tasting wine. And because there's so many factors and of how that affects your perceived sugar level, you've kind of either got to, I always try and talk to people about either latching onto the tannins or the acids and working around that. It's because um, sugar's a hard one. I, I even find yeah, it. Yeah, but that's why you, when you listed it as like the first thing that people noticed that I thought, really? Really? Yeah. Well, you, you think about it, even if you drink, even, you know, a few week, few weekends ago when you were drinking uh, Le Grand Denae there with your fish and chips, like even though that's dry, dry wine, you would still notice the fruit first. Or the lack yeah. of fruit, even. Oh, no. There was, well, it was brioche apple custody kind of thing. Yep. But there'd be, there'd be sweetness within that wine, even though I'd think it'd be a brute. Oh, that, yeah, that'd have that. So if it was a brute, it'd have up to seven grams of residual sugar in it. So oh. that's the same as a beer. So, yeah. This residual sugar. It's... Residual sugar is another one of those t- terms you see on the back of bottles. Residual sugar, RS. What's residual sugar, Look, Morris? Residual sugar is sugars left over from the ferment. Yeah. You try and ferment, you yeast eats all the sugars in theory. And so you, you theory you get a dry wine because there's no sugar left because the yeast is eaten at all. But uh, yeast doesn't like alcohol. It'd be like me going to the toilet and pooing out hand grenades. I don't want hand grenades. <laughs> but if I had a whole bunch of hand grenades, just kept creating hand grenades everywhere, eventually I'd die because it's hard to store all these hand grenades. That's like used to creating a whole bunch of alcohol. And so the next term is or maybe scorpions. Maceration. If I was pouring out scorpions, because you know I can put them in a corner and get away from them, but eventually there'd be so many scorpions. Yeah, that might be a bit of analogy. So the next term is... <laughs> Go on. Uh, what's what's we have term time for another use? term? Should we ha- carry we're, this we're, over? We're, we're just we're not leaving on you pooing. We're just uh, you don't want you don't the on. visual of a scorpion. I don't want butt. that. Nope, I don't. Um, so, yeah. what's another one that comes? Um, That's a to different me? part of the body. Oh my goodness! So we often we we throw around. So we've mentioned a few of the terms that we throw around. Um, you know, from day to day, or, or we see, and things that are quite confronting for us. But I'm sure there's plenty for you. And if you have a term you, you've seen and you're not really sure, write into us at Luke's Talk Wine at Gmail. There's a couple of others. Uh, herbaceous, herbaceous gets banned oh, around, which is all that ugly, yeah, aroma, herby, grassy, green flavors that might find in underripe grapes or sometimes cabernets. Um, it's not too bad in white wines, but you don't want to see herbaceous in reds. Not really, no. Um, what about something like? I'm thinking of other um, 
Oh, I heard light struck the other day. I haven't heard that for a while to do with wine. What's that? Light struck. So a tasting term for a wine that's had a long exposure to light, so it, which causes like the, the wet cardboard stink. Um, huh. Light struck, which is what why a lot of white wines these days are coming in darker bottles to avoid that light struck note. Um, I've heard of that. Well, it's why beer comes in bottles or cans. Oh no, I know, I know, I know that you don't want um, light um, deteriorating your wine, but I didn't know yep. that people were referring to it as light struck and put it on the label. Oh yes, um, because we can move on with that. Because Jared had a question, and the question was Luke Morris. Oh, I can't remember. I told it to you. It was the it was that that wine wines goes that go stages. in stages or yeah. wines that go in a phase. And Jared's yeah, question. He, he said it was he, a wine that he got had gone through a phase and he wanted to return it. Mm. And I just thought that was an interesting. Yeah, well, for, for me, I mean, I, you know, here on Luke Riesling, <laughs> we've often discussed how Riesling, in its uh, upward trajectory of aging, can go in a go into a hole. Semion does exactly the same thing. Um, but, yeah, wines, absolutely wines can go through a phase, particularly on pertaining to, to white wine. Also, depending on how he or she, the winemaker, finishes a wine, might take a while to open up in a glass. It might take a little bit of time to begin to expose itself. Um, yeah, wines can go through phases. Absolutely, is that what you reckon Jared was referring to, Murray? Or? I think so. I think I, I, I and I had a bottle of the wine on the weekend, and, and you know, there's bottle variation. I don't think there was a lot of a, a, a lot had altered about it, but that's bottle variation for you. Um, and I think what he's referring to wine going through a phase is when through wine will develop with age. It won't get better. It uh, it's probably will change. Wine will change with age. It won't necessarily get better, I think, is, is an adage to uh, remember. And one of the things that causes it to change is the breakdown of the chemicals. And one of the things we're looking for in, uh, so, well, those classic white wines you're referring to, Riesling, Sauvignon Blanc, is when, uh, say, the acids drop another characteristic, I can't think off the top of my head, starts to develop and come through. But when there's an imbalance between the acids or the tannins and the alcohol and the body and the sweetness aging and it doesn't it doesn't quite meld the way it was you know six months earlier then that's it's going through an aging phase to the point where it's either going to come out at the other end and and be softer and delicate and and and, and have, have great length on palate or be, you know, a, a bit more funky, kerosene in, in terms of some white wines. Or it, it drops and it dissipates and doesn't come back. And that might be really cheap wine, I guess, that, that doesn't have the structures there. But it's, the wine going through a phase is just it's going through its life journey. It's like, it's, it's like a wine that was all right in its youth and then becomes an annoying teenager because it's just... You know, growing some hairs and getting used to its body and, and then it will be a cooler, more mature wine and a bit later. But it's going to go through its teenage growing phase. And you have to open it and try it to work out if it's in its phase. You don't, you can't just read a tasting note and think it's in a phase or whatever. It's a personal preference. You have to, tr- you have to taste it. 
Yeah. Um, the the reason the wrong with reason. You just have a bit of patience to it with it too, because it, it will it will come out of that phase. It's just it's like you know it's like a um a, a, a penguin that is on one side of a iceberg and wants to get to another iceberg and has to dip down below the water and jump out the other side. It's just going to dip below the water and jump out the other side. That's all it's going to do. It's just don't, don't get worried when it goes underwater. It's a bird. It's not supposed to be underwater, but it can do it for a little bit. Have you been drinking? You, you are using a lot of analogies today. I like it. I'm, I'm loving the analogies, but uh, have you been drinking? No. I'm sober as a... I was going to say a judge, but judges, judges make up some of my best customers. And they're not usually sober. No. Sober as a priest, but they, they're constantly around wine. <laughs> um, well, how entertaining is that? So wines can go through a phase. We've touched on a different glossary of wine terms, so to speak. We've huh. implored you to get involved, listeners, in our Hottest 100 as we hurtle towards 50 episodes in our podcast here at Luke's Talk Wine. Do, but do, most can, of all, can, I just, can I just ask that? Do you, what, what, what kind of – how do you approach a wine that you – it's going through that sort of phase where he's like, I used to remember this being great. It sort of dipped down in character. Do you, do you think, well, that's, going, that's the end of its life or do you hold on to it to see what happens to it next or oh, how, do you, no, how that, do you treat it? Great question. So for me, I've had a lot of experience with this with Semyon. Semyon will go into a hole, not quite as dramatically as, say, a Riesling might, yeah. um, but Semyon does go into a hole. No, and for me, I just think, it's happened quite a lot, exactly as you articulated there. That I think, oh gee, what what's happened here? A penguin I remember this going being, underwater and coming up again. Yeah, I remember this being that penguin, pure black and white. I loved it when it was black and white. Now it's all wet. What am I going to do with it? And I actually think at that point it becomes a choose your own adventure. I think you <laughs> nearly you always got to hold on to uh, the the penguin <laughs> just to see if it turns into us. Turns yeah. into a swan or whatever happens to the penguins. You got to oh. see. You got to. You got to choose your own adventure, and you've absolutely got to see what happens. You can't just give up on the penguin and toss out all the wine you have. Uh, I, I've seen that before too. People just go, "Oh, I don't like this wine. It's not going to get any better." Fair enough if you're drinking Cabernet Sauvignon, but if you're drinking some of those whites, you know some of the great reasons of the world or whatever. I think you've got to stay the course and yeah. just. See how it evolves because that is another great term. Evolving, it's got to evolve. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's true. I think there is the point of view that I know a lot of customers who are like, who have said to me, oh, "Doesn't wine get bolder and heavier of age?" It's like, no, no. Um, but th- that's that thing of if you if you don't like an aged wine, once it starts turning, you is past. It's not going to. It's not going to return to being a young, clean, black and white penguin. It's going to come back out the other side, covered in fish and a bit wet. Uh, and is that exciting? I think so. But you know, that's, that's not everybody that's, does. Not everybody does. There we go. So I wanted, to, I wanted to just find out what your thoughts on that were. I'm glad you did actually. Yeah, just uh, bringing a little bit of that emotion and. Personal yeah. experience, Murray. I love it. Please. Um, but I've totally lost my train of thought. What have but, you been drinking this week, pal? 
Yes. Cabernet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Um, I have been drinking a little bit of Cabernet. No, no, no. But um, after after we left last week, actually, and I'd, I'd had uh, a fairly busy week and literally on the way out of a function I was working, someone just handed me a glass of wine, as often happens, says, oh, what do you think of this? And lo and behold, knocked me dead, knocked me over with a feather if it wasn't a glass of Riesling. And you know I love Riesling here on Luke's Talk Riesling. I hadn't had a glass of Riesling for a while. And I thought, wow, it was like someone just threw a bucket of water in my face. It was like splash. It was like, oh, my goodness, that's Riesling. And I reckon it's the Jim Barry Florita Riesling. It actually wasn't the Jim Barry Florita Riesling. It was the inexpensive one. Um, yeah. Oh, and it was just all this lemon and lime. And I had you sitting on one shoulder just going, put it on your fish and chips and get <laughs> And then I was thinking about my, my other head on my right-hand side here, my wine cellaring head, just going, geez, this would look good in about 15 years. And then I was just thinking, you know what? It's bloody good now. It's 10 at night. It's so refreshing. I just want to slam it down fast, responsibly, of course. But it was it was so <laughs> so just mighty tasty, folks. If you're just looking to change up in your wine drinking, just go and get a bottle of Riesling, Molly Meldrum style. Do yourself a favour. And yeah, the cheap one. Anyway, what about yourself? Have you been tucking into something nice or not? Uh, or? No, I went to had had uh, the Holgate Temptress Porter. No, Holgate mm. Temptress Stout. Yeah, had a, had a pint of that on the weekend, and. Um, you can do a lot wrong in your life than get a a pint of stout and order the mature cheddar at the Cambrian Hotel in Bendigo. They do it. They do cheese and beer offering or cheese and wine or whatever you want. But they nice crackers, good cheese, and a small Boom. brewery beer. Bang! That was a sat there and edited another podcast. If you're interested, I'm making another podcast, not this one. Look Another out. one, yeah. Look out! Why not? You are busy. The lodge, the lodge, oh. twenty-two bucks. It was. Yep. Absolutely. Just yeah. Just uh, lemon, lime, curd, blossom. Get it in you. <laughs> I don't even know we can buy it, but that's what it was. Outstanding. But um, yeah, just do yourself a favor. Hey, what a week! What a wonderful week! Thanks everybody for listening. It has been a week filled with wine uh and we have been luke's talk wine you can get in touch with us across the socials at luke's talk wine on instagram he's been luke morris i've been luke campbell we are luke's talk wine in the words of tony barber keep smiling and bye for now vinified are the wine sellers specialists we're australia's only personal sommelier service our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers, all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, we can host your dinner parties, or we can procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk Wine www.finified.com.au